Welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. Here's a story for you. A story called, It's Complicated. Since moving earlier this year, I've been doing the get-to-know-you conversation with lots of new people. New neighbors, new acquaintances that I'm hoping will become friends, and new doctors of, gosh, like every variety. There's lots of questions that these conversations have in common. Where do you live? What do you do? I see a wedding ring. Who's your spouse? Who is your emergency contact? Okay, okay, only the doctor has asked me that last question, but it might actually be kind of helpful for a few friends to know who your emergency contact is. These questions help the new person to understand who I am, where and how I fit into this town, into the world, and who is important to me. I often ask many of these same questions back to new neighbors and acquaintances that I meet too. Not so much to my new doctors. Asking these sorts of questions aren't really appropriate there. But in terms of neighbors and potential friends, these are all sensible questions to ask. And at the same time, they can be powder kegs of questions. With a question about the relationship status being a particular doozy. For people of any age, and often especially for people in their 20s and 30s, explaining one's relationships can be touchy. Did you know that Facebook now provides 11 different relationship statuses to choose from? Single, in a relationship, engaged, married, in a civil union, in a domestic partnership, in an open relationship, separated, divorced, and widowed. And even with a list that long, I'm sure that there are other designations, types, and statuses for relationships that people identify with. Each of these situations has its own challenges, its own follow-up questions. If you're single, people often want to know why. Have you not met the right person yet? Are you just too picky? Hey, why didn't it work out with so-and-so? Do you just want to be single forever? Then when you're in a relationship, people want to know about the next step. When are you getting engaged? When are you getting married? When are you going to have kids? Why don't you try couples counseling? When is the divorce going to be finalized? Or, I'm so sorry for your loss. What is life now like without your spouse? And if you're in a relationship that falls outside of the norms of society, well, I'm not really sure what all types of questions people ask because of my own limited personal experience. I imagine you'd get faced with some of the questions from above, but I'm also sure that people ask some even ruder and cruder questions. For many, sharing about our relationships with our close friends and family can be a joyful thing to do. However, 
It's also often complicated, right? It's not always straightforward. Our relationships may not always be what other people expect them to be. And trusting folks with your truth and your heart is tricky. Talking about our relationship status is not always something we want to do with new people. But you know what? New people just keep on asking. Did you know that there are stories about this in the Bible too? Stories where someone has got to know the relationship status of some other person in the story. Is this woman engaged? Wait, who did that man just marry? Who's going to marry this widow? Out of all of these stories where such questions are asked, one in particular comes to mind. A story where Jesus asks a woman where her husband is. And her situation and her response are quite complicated. This conversation comes from the Gospel of John. The story this gospel tells begins with creation and goes into eternity. At the same time, this gospel also zooms in on some powerful one-on-one conversations between Jesus and other people. And at both ends of this spectrum and anywhere in between, Jesus is understood to be the living word of God. Jesus is the word of God at the moment of creation through which all creation comes into being. Jesus is the word of God when he is preaching to the multitudes. Jesus is the word of God when he is having a one-on-one conversation. Now compared to the other three gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the book of John marches to the beat of its own drummer. While it has some of the same stories as the other three, it also has a lot of content that is unique to John. For some, the difference in content makes it seem less reliable and harder to make sense of. It's just not as familiar as the other Gospels. Yet for others, this new content and the new perspective it gives on the life and ministry of Jesus That's something that others really connect with and really find meaningful. So many people either love John or don't know what to do or how to make sense of John. I'm someone who really loves the Gospel of John. The snippet I'm going to read today is one of these zoomed-in conversations that is only found in this Gospel and nowhere else. The conversation is often called the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. Here we find Jesus on the way from Judea to go back to Galilee with some of his disciples. Along the way, he passes through the region of Samaria and stops at a town to rest. This is where the encounter begins. I'll be reading John chapter 4 verses 7 to 26 from Wilda Gaffney's A Woman's Lectionary for the Whole Church, Year W. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How are you, a Judean, asking a drink of me, a woman from Samaria? 
Judeans do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who is the one telling to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. From where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, the one who gave us the well, and with his daughters and sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus answered her and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But the one who drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. The water that I will give will become in them a fount of water springing up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may never thirst or keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back to this place. The woman answered and said this to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You said rightly, I have no husband, for five husbands have you had, and now the one you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are our prophet. Our mothers and fathers worshipped on this mountain, yet you say in Jerusalem is the place where people must worship. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the sovereign God. You all worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Judeans. But the hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers will worship the sovereign God in spirit and truth. For these are the worshipers the sovereign God seeks. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking to you. Here ends the reading. There are so many different layers to this story. We could have a conversation about living water, about worship, about what it means for Jesus to be Messiah. At some point, I hope we will have those conversations. But the point I want to center on today is Jesus's acceptance of this woman. By all societal standards and cultural norms, Jesus should not be talking to this woman. First of all, she is a woman and from Samaria. This means that as a woman, she would have been seen as below him in society. And like this text said, Samaritans and Judeans didn't share things. So Jesus should not be talking to her, especially alone. It was not appropriate for a man and a woman who are not family, not married, to talk to one another. All right, second of all, it's pretty likely that she is a social outcast of her town. 
Getting water from the well was the responsibility of the women of the household. Usually, they would go in the mornings. This had at least two practical advantages. They would have the water for all of their daily tasks, and they would avoid the heat of the day. This particular woman's presence at the well at noon indicates that she may be trying to avoid the other women of the town. Perhaps she wasn't welcome to be around them, or she had decided it would just be easier to avoid them. Of course, it's possible that it's just a coincidence that she is there at noon and it has nothing to do with her social standing. Maybe she just needed more water in the middle of the day. However, this next fact about her is what leads to the interpretation that she's a social outcast. Finally, when Jesus asks her to get her husband and bring him back, she responds with a first century version of, it's complicated. She says she doesn't have a husband. Jesus says, yes, this is true because she has had a number of husbands and now is with a man whom she is not married to. Jesus says, yes, this is true because she has had a number of husbands and now is with a man that she is not married to. That is a very complicated relation status, one that would have definitely be frowned upon by all of her peers. While speaking with her, Jesus knows all of these things about her. He knows the cultural restrictions around talking with a woman and interacting with a Samaritan. He knows the societal implications of this woman being at the well at noon. Jesus even seemingly has omniscient knowledge of her relationship status. Jesus knows all of these things about her, and it does not stop him from engaging with her and caring about her. Jesus goes so far as to reveal the truth about who he is and what he has come to do on earth with this woman, a woman who we don't even get to know the name of. Furthermore, Jesus does not condemn this woman. He does not offer harsh words of judgment about her relationship status. He does not tell her that she is sinning. He knows all of these things about her these things that her peers would have treated her harshly for. And he treats her with kindness, dignity, and grace. Jesus trusts her with the truth about who he is and what he is about. He is the word of God who came to bring abundant life to all the world. This interaction changes her life forever. She runs back into town to tell people about Jesus and this conversation that she has had. She even forgets her water jug at the well. Many people come to believe in Jesus because of her story. And some more even sought out Jesus to learn directly from him and then came to believe in Jesus through those interactions. This woman shares the faith and grace that had been gifted to her through this conversation with Jesus and just spreads the love of Jesus all through her town. Jesus's interaction with this woman and the power of her ministry of witnessing about her interaction with Jesus can be an encouragement for us as well. 
for those moments when people ask about our relationships or when restrictions are put in place for church leadership because of relationships. I'm going to be honest. People in the church can be really shitty when it comes to asking folks about their relationship status. It can be really hard for a single person to find a place in a church or, for that matter, a partnered person who attends worship on their own. Moreover, it can sometimes seem that churches only want heterosexual married couples with 2.5 kids. Honestly, some churches really only do want families like that. There's no denying it. Yet, the more powerful truth is that your relationship status does not matter to Jesus. Now, I do want to say that I do think Jesus cares deeply about the health and mutuality of love, respect, and consent in romantic relationships when we engage in them. However, to Jesus, your dignity and worthiness of a person remains the same regardless of what romantic relationship you are a part of or are not a part of. Single? Cool with Jesus. Married to a person of the same gender? Cool with Jesus. Divorced? Cool with Jesus. Jesus loves you for you. Whoever you are, Jesus loves you. I want to close with a word about church leadership and romantic relationships. The church has had a long, long, long history of prohibiting people from leadership roles because of their relationship status. Some particular church denominations still prohibit their leaders from being married to anyone. Others prohibit same-sex partnered individuals from being leaders or don't allow people who have been divorced to be leaders. I am thankful to be part of a church denomination that allows for all LGBTQIA plus folks to be leaders, regardless of their relationship status. I do lament that not all congregations and individuals within the Lutheran Church are okay with this. There is still a lot of discrimination and hardship for queer leaders in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Yet, there are communities who celebrate our queer leaders, and All Places Together is one such place. And the number of open and affirming congregations grows each and every month. I am certain that this is the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. However, if you have gone to a church and faced criticism, judgment, or exclusion because of your relationship status or who you are in a relationship with, I am sorry. If the damage done in those encounters means that you never want to attend worship at a traditional church again, I understand and I affirm your decision. I hope that you have been listening here enough to know that you can connect with God wherever you are. And I also hope that all places together can be a source of spiritual encouragement and nourishment for you. As we continue to move through the holiday season, we may be meeting new friends and catching up with old friends and family. 
You might even be attending in-person worship for Christmas Eve. Maybe for the first time ever, for the first time in a while, or for the first time with a new partner. And these questions about relationships may come up. People may say mean, critical, or even judgmental things about your relationship status. That sucks when that happens. It may seem all too complicated to them. So in those moments, I want you to hold on to the truth that it is not too complicated for Jesus. You are a beloved child of God. Whatever this person is saying cannot change this fact. You are loved. And if you have a partner, they are loved by God too. Whoever they are and whoever you are, we are all beloved children of God. A prayer for when it's complicated. God of love, you come to us where we are and how we are. You love us, accept us, and celebrate all the types of love that we share in our lives. The love we get from you. The love we share with family and friends. The love we might share with a partner. And you also know that sometimes it's complicated. It can be complicated with our family, friends, and romantic partners. And sometimes it's even complicated with you. In those moments, help me to remember you always love me and to lean into those relationships where I feel love and acceptance. Open my heart to celebrate the love around me. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. I want to say thank you to everyone who sent in biblical folks that they wanted to learn more about. There were a lot of great ideas that I'm sure we will get to eventually. This week's episode was inspired by Melissa. She wrote that she has loved hearing more about the women of the Bible and she wanted to keep hearing more. Thanks for listening, Melissa, and I hope that you enjoyed this episode, too. To continue to see All Places Together grow, you can give through our website. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give to All Places Together, and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. If end-of-the-year giving is part of your generosity practice, I hope that you'll consider giving to All Places Together. Thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, and people like you who have shared contributions. Now we know that it can be hard to give financially, especially at this time of year. So remember that I celebrate all of the ways that you share the stories of all places together with the people in your life. 
and engage with the APT community throughout the week. I want to say that I was blown away by some Instagram stories that I saw from our listeners this week. A few shared that All Places Together was their top listened to podcast on Spotify for this past year. Goodness, that's like, I don't know, Taylor Swift being your top listened to artist. Ah, man, I was so touched that you spent so much time here this year and that you wanted to share that with your Insta friends too. And until next time, remember that God is with you wherever, whoever, and however you are.